You're listening to another ambitious entrepreneurnetwork.com podcast, the voice for entrepreneurs and small business. Now, onto the show. Welcome to Industry Thought Leader Podcast. Stand out, be heard, influence. Want to influence real change with your message while become known as an authority in your field? Industry Thought Leader Podcast will show you how. Now, over to your host, Anne-Marie Cross. Welcome to another episode of Industry Thought Leader Podcast. I'm your host, Anne-Marie Cross, the podcasting queen. Now, are you struggling to have your message stand out and be heard in an increasingly noisy marketplace, so much so that hardly anyone knows about you and you're certainly not recognised as an authority in your field, despite your expertise and years of experience? Well, if this sounds like you, then stick around because today's guest knows exactly how to craft a great message of any style and length and a message that'll compel people to listen to you. Now, joining me on today's show is John Yo. John is an executive speaker coach who works with CEOs and senior leadership teams to build trust, empathy and engagement in an increasingly distracted world. Now, he is a current licensee of TEDx Melbourne, and he's also the past chapter president of Professional Speakers Australia. Now, on today's show, John is going to share the five perspectives that compel people to listen to you. He's going to talk about what makes a great message and how to craft a great message of any style or length, as well as what is wrong with today's modern storytelling. Welcome to the show. John. Hey, Anne-Marie, how are you doing? I'm really good. I'm so glad that uh, we finally got you on the show. I know you're busy um, with your work that you do, TEDx Melbourne, and, and helping business owners really, as we said, craft an incredible message. Do you want to just share with everyone, I love to hear a bit of the backstory and overview of how you got into the work that you're now doing today. Sure, sure. So uh, if you go back far enough, I was a technologist. I was an IT guy. And uh, this is in the 90s, pre-year 2000. So any of you who are old enough might remember something called the Millennium Bug. Yes. Now, the Millennium Bug was quite a big deal for IT people back then. But one of the challenges that those IT people had was there was no such thing as a CIO. So engineers like myself didn't really have opportunities to speak with senior leadership. And so the only opportunity we got to speak to senior leaders was passing in a corridor. And I got really good at these corridor conversations, 90 seconds or less, getting people's attention, getting the point across and making enough impact for them to act on it. Yes. And so from there, I developed a little bit of a framework about how you communicate in these short periods of time, which then when TED uh, and TEDx licenses were, in, were released, which is about 2009, mm. um, I was able to translate the work that researchers and executives and all sorts of clever people on a stage you know, for TED Talks. Mm -hmm. TED Talks typically are 18 minutes or less, but um, their ability to encapsulate decades worth of research in short periods of time became a bit of a specialization. And yes. so my work really stemmed from the combination of that technical background and the ability to articulate these very broad or very complex messages in a meaningful way. Mm -hmm. And today, I guess I work mostly with executives to help them create these compelling messages because the ability to cut through, to keep get people's attention and to get people to listen is getting harder and harder. And so 
my work with executives is really around how do you build leadership, engagement, empathy, rapport, trust, all the elements that we're looking from 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 modern leaders yes, and modern leadership. Yes, it's so important, isn't it? Because as as we mentioned in the uh, introduction, and and I'm sure people can recognise this. It's no matter whether you're speaking within a face to face environment or, or online, there is so much noise. Um, vying for our attention and it's important to be able to create sometimes some short sound bites to to break through that noise then once you've got someone's attention and and you're obviously and you're going to be sharing how we're going to do that and then maintain their attention through sharing in a way in the content that is relevant it's valuable then of course you've got that opportunity to be able to spend a bit more time but as I know with many business owners now they're struggling to even get to the stage where some Someone gives them an opportunity to speak and when we've got that when we've captured the attention we don't want to waste that opportunity so let's dive in I know you're going to share so many great resources and we've only got a limited amount of time so I'm really going to tap into to your insights here five perspectives that compel people to yep. listen to you what's the first first perspective well the, the, the first perspective is environment it, it's the it's the nature by which people come to you so for instance, in Australia at the moment, you know, there's a whole lot of things happening in the market, especially in the financial area around a Royal Commission. Mm -hmm. And so that Royal Commission is impacting a bank's ability to build trust and rapport with its community. It can't control it, but it's a factor that people that cause people to have a slight friction or a hurdle or resistance before you even walk in the door. Yes. And so that's where reputation and thought leadership really stand out. So yes. environment becomes the place by which we operate and we come together. Yes. Can we enhance or even inhibit uh, things that we do or don't do when it comes to environment? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Great question. One of the, well, I guess two things that exec, uh, that brands and individuals do really, really well in the environment to distinguish themselves is they create a strong position mm. and they create a disproportionate amount of attention. And so that disproportionate amount of attention can be positive or negative, but it's the ability to control people's attention away from something else. So at the moment, Trump is a classic example. I don't even know who he's up against for re-election because he dominates the headlines so strranly. Mm. You know, yes. Branson's excellent at doing this. Musk is excellent in doing this. Even Apple, you know, mm. in its heyday with jobs was able to control the attention of their community. So having that strong position, standing for something and then creating that disproportionate attention is the way you differentiate yourself in the environmental space. Yes. I'd imagine too that depending on what situation is going, there's going to be going on and in the instance of Trump, there's an election that's coming up. So obviously he and his team need to be far more prolific in, in the amount of content that they are, are sharing. Do you find that different yeah. seasons that you don't necessarily need to from an authority and someone who wants to become this thought leader, you don't need to do that constantly, but again, be determined by what's happening in the marketplace. Is that also a factor? Okay. Well, absolutely. What, one of the things that I'm always sort of reminding people is you need to say the right thing at the right time, time to the right person in the right way. And when it comes to elections and mass market, yeah, what he's doing is fine. But there are people who say clever things that continually have a reputation for saying clever things that don't necessarily have to shout it from the, from the rooftops. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, I like that. So that's environment. That's one of the fir the first perspective. What's the what's another one? 
The next one down, and this is kind of layered, the next one down is, 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 is uh, organization. So that's what is your organization doing despite what's happening in the market to differentiate yourself. And a lot of times, a lot of that, most people narrow down to the marketing. So that might be logos, websites, collateral, anything that you physically produce that you can present to someone mm -hmm. so they can have a better understanding of who you are and what you're offering. Yes, yes. Where do you find that uh, when it comes to organization that people need to excel a little bit better? There's things that they're missing out on that they're not really doing well in this particular perspective. Yeah, I think the number one challenge for any organization is the ability to, cr to create a distinctive value proposition. Yes. Everyone can create a value proposition. I produce, I do coaching, I, I don't know, produce a, a widget of some description, but what is going to make that special thing special? You know, iPhone for the longest time was not the only company, well, Apple, sorry, producing the iPhone, wasn't the only company producing mobile phones, but they had a distinctive product. Mm -hmm. Same with the Tesla Model 3, it was a distinctive product. Rubik's Cube, distinctive product. And so what is it that causes someone to get excited by that product or service in a way that compels them to come forward. And I find that the brands that do that well mm -hmm. sell more than the product or service. They're selling the ideals underneath that. What does it stand for? What does it mean? Yes. Yes. So, you know, Brexit fans, Trump fans, they were adamant that certain things needed to happen and that leader was the only person that was going to yeah, to do, to that. do that. Yeah. And I would imagine that uh, some organizations and individuals struggle with this because they themselves have not really taken time to clarify what that is so that that message can consistently show up across everything that they're doing, no matter what medium that they're using to communicate um, their, their message. And I think in an, in, in an environment where there is so much noise, we need to take a step back and define what that is because that's one key way that we're going to to get cut through for sure. And I know many of us, I know myself, we're multi-passionate, avid learners. So we're forever, you know, new topics and everything. But if we can keep that under the umbrella of our core message, we're not sharing yeah. a message that people, well, one day she's talking about this and now she's talking about that. What is she doing? It's a bit eclectic. So I love that organization. What's the next perspective? Oh, one thing I might just add there in terms of that clarity is almost everyone I work with has poor to average clarity yes. at best around their message, who they are, what they stand for, what they believe and what how their product service helps serve other people having that same experience. And the challenge there is if it's not clear in your head, it can never be clear in theirs. Yeah. So we've really got to be like laser clear on this, laser sharp, laser clear. Yeah. But to answer your question, the next level down is the individual level. Mm -hmm. That's where the sale is made, that's where trust and rapport relationship is made that's where your credibility is established and you know if you need to build that trust how do you do that without saying trust me mm. and so the way you position your messages in your audience's mind become just as important as the content that is actually coming out of mouth, your intelligence, your wisdom, your product, your service, your idea. Yes, it's interesting. And I'm sure you've heard of the Edelman Trust Barometer and Edelman, the organization every year continues to do a survey around that, this. But what was interesting yeah. in the last survey that they did, John, was, and I'm sure you know this too, is that there, it's been the hugest gap 
I think, 16 points between informed public and then mass mass market, which means as individuals, even as organisations, we have to be clear and we have to be communicating. If we're not doing that, the other two points, then obviously, or the other perspectives, we, we obviously need to define that. But I think sharing a consistent message, being out there, contributing thought, ideal um, your ideal perspective, your thought leadership on a particular topic will continue to build that trust because you're consistently showing up and confirming the same kind of content and message that you've always been sharing. Is that, would you say that's a fair assumption? That is 100%. So consistency is absolutely imperative. So, you know, I have seen people get excited by seeing a Starbucks in China. <laughs> not because it's Starbucks and they do great coffee, mm. but they know, oh, that's something I'm familiar with. It's yes. going to be the same here as it is in the United States or wherever that. Apple trade on that same value set. McDonald's trade on that value set. You know that when you walk into these stores, the experience is going to be exactly the same. Yes. And that consistency yes. allows us to build comfort and confidence in that brand in terms of the consistency of experience. And I know that sounds extreme, but if you had a car that you didn't know whether the brakes would work every time you got into it, would you stay in the car? Probably not. No. And it's exactly the same for brands. Yeah. I think also, too, because we have got a lot of these fantastic tools at our fingertips, there are going to be situations where something does happen that perhaps as a business, as a brand, as an individual, we didn't really want to have happen. So we need to contribute to that conversation to be able to turn that around. And I think when we're talking about that trust, you know, and, and building a message that continues to compel and stand out, when we speak to that, how do we respond? And I think as CEOs of our business, that's one of the key things this Edelman report identified too. Individuals want CEOs to step forward and contribute their voice. What do they think? What do they share? And sometimes as CEOs, we tend to take a step back. But this is not really building trust with our community, is it? Yeah. And look, I mean, taking a step back, there's times to move forward and time to step back. But as a leader, we need to be seen to be showing the way. Yes, yes. Even for our staff, well, you know, if you think internal stakeholders yeah. and, of course, the external um, as well. So we've got environment, organisation, yep. individual. I'm taking notes, by the way. That's why I'm typing here. Right. What's the next one? Right, right. So the next one is actually your idea itself. So if you're speaking, it's your message. And if you're in a sales meeting, for instance, it might be your product or service. And so the challenge that I think a lot of people have when they go into these conversations is they start with their product or service. They start with their unique value proposition. They start with their features and benefits. And the challenge there is that if they don't, if they don't trust you as an individual, mm. your features and benefits are irrelevant. If they don't trust your organization, your features and benefits are irrelevant. If they don't trust your industry, your features and benefits are irrelevant. Mm. So we need to be able to cover all four perspectives that we've discussed so far pretty much simultaneously and we can talk about that in a second so that we're building that trust and rapport so that when the product or service or idea comes to light it's the next most logical conclusion for them mm -hmm. and this is not about you and your ideas and your genius and your knowledge it's about how do we create an experience for them where they understand and appreciate the value you can generate and can relate that to their own lives. Yes. Because otherwise we're just talking at people rather than with people. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and uh, one great way to connect and engage with people on a different level is when we don't feel like we're being spoken to because it might remind us of uh, the times we were sitting in the classroom and someone was just meh, 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 wearing at us all yeah. the time. So that that's yeah. that's important. So what's no the one likes no no one likes to be lectured because immediately, and I think this is as adult as adult learners, we need to know what's in it for us because immediately we we're quite skeptical. You know, how does it fit? I'm I'm busy and do I have time to even sit and listen to this person so um, so important so that's number four what's mm. the fifth one and then I guess you're going to talk about how we can we can fit all of those together yeah yeah so the last one is audience and it and it's the basis by which everything mm. is developed without an audience everything else falls down mm. so how do we create an audience that disproportionately acts in our favor what do you need to do? Who do you need to be? What do you need to produce? How do you need to present it to them? Mm. And a really good example of that is my brother. So he put almost four years ago now, um, he put $1,000 down on a car he hadn't seen without even knowing whether they were going to build the electric infrastructure in his town because that's how much he believes in sustainable living. He put his money down on a Tesla Model 3. Wow. And I don't know many people who would put a thousand dollars down on a product you hadn't seen. But what's really interesting about that product is if you wanted to be one of the foundation owners, the first thousand mm. people to own a Tesla Model 3, you had to pay up front. But you had to pay up front $250,000 and it sold out. So there were a thousand people putting $250,000 down for a car they hadn't seen three years in advance without knowing whether they're going to build electric infrastructure in a town, because that's how much they believe in the Tesla Model 3. And wow. what's really interesting is it's five times the retail price. The yeah. retail price for a Tesla Model 3 is $45,000. Yeah. Who does that? Who pays five times retail? And so our ability to get people to act disproportionately in our favour is a huge strategic example. Mm. Nike do this all the time. Disney do this all the time. Uh, Apple do this all the time. It can be done but it's the way you cultivate and nurture the relationship with your community mm -hmm. that becomes a differentiating factor. Do you find that many people never get to that stage to be able to even do that because they haven't defined who that, and I'll use a term that I know a, a mutual colleague and I often shares, and he says, you know, the micro niche, Adam Houlihan, and is because they haven't defined and what we tend to do. And one of the things I say, you try and speak to everyone, you speak to no one because no one is really yep. hearing your message. So I'm assuming that Tesla knew down to the very, you know, I guess smallest of behaviours and what's going to to light someone up and think, yeah, I want to be able to say I was the first person that ever owned one of those motor vehicles. We don't spend enough yeah. time. What are a couple of things that we can start to consider? Because I think we can really get stuck around well, this and get quite disappointed yeah. when no one really hears what we're saying. Yeah. Look, those micro niches are absolutely becoming much more important. Mm. The more and more I, I see the world progress, the more and more people need to build individual relationships rather than mass market relationships. So a lot of organizations are able to tell me very basic things, like maybe um, uh, the types of products and services I buy, my approximate income, my family status, you know, whether I have any kids or family, uh, where I live, all that sort of stuff. extrinsic factors, things you can quantify and measure. What I find is when I dig a bit deeper for a lot of these organizations, mm -hmm. they have a very, very poor understanding 
of the intrinsic motivators mm. for what causes someone to come to you. Yeah. What are the beliefs and ideals that are important to them? What do they stand for? What do we stand for? Mm. How do we unify along that front? All great organizations and all great movements had a unifying quality about them over and above the mechanical execution. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when you think about, you know, um, you know, JFK's man on the moon speech, you know, no one had done it, but he, that was what he believed. And that's where he was taking the nation and the whole country rallied underneath that yes. to the point where they spent like 4% of the nation's GDP on it. it was massive, like disproportionate amount of effort to have one man or two men in the first uh, Apollo 11 mission to land on the moon. Mm -hmm. You know, that's extraordinary. And 10 years to do it as well. You know, there's this long-term view about where we need to go and where we need to take people. And so understanding the intrinsic motivators of our community become a really important factor mm -hmm. in the relationships that you have with someone. And you can write off these intrinsic things as they're, they're things I can't see and touch. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I'm sure everyone has got in their phone, when they see the caller ID, the phone number of someone, you don't really want to pick up the phone. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and it's so important. When they see that number turn up, yeah. when they see that email coming, do they want to pick it up or do they want to pretend they didn't see it? Mm. Yeah. And our ability to motivate someone in that way becomes the distinguishing factor. Yes. You know, it's so true what you're saying, because when we think about people getting behind an organization or standing for and alongside a movement, it's because, as you said, it taps into core values and a similar uh, beliefs that they hold, you know, that particular area or topic uh, to be true for them mm -hmm. as, as well. And I think, you know, we talk about demographics, which is what you've also mentioned, then psychographics, the, the intrinsic motivators. Mm -hmm. And I think yeah. when we're looking at for someone, uh, or prompts a purchase of a particular product or service is what emotion has caused that. I know for me, if I see a handbag or something that I like, I think, oh, I, I really, and I'll go out and buy that. So when we can tap into that emotion, not only can we compel someone to step forward and say, yes, if it's the right time and, you know, it, it's the right time along their customer buyer's journey, but also because of the fact that it makes them also feel good because it's something that they stand for. So I think that's probably even more so important. Are there studies that that also show that once you've defined that core group and you start to speak to them and the, the, this core group can be small to start off with but one of the things I say is you know speak to an audience of one because when you do and she or he listens that audience will continue to grow but are there studies that also show when, when you start to develop that core group it builds momentum on its own because those people start to share with their community because they're probably hanging out with like-minded people who would also be interested so our our, uh, our core audience then can't help but share because they become almost like ambassadors for our message. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, that, that's that's what word of mouth marketing is. Yeah. And every market will tell you it's worth well more than 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 the commercial output in terms yes. of spend for marketing. I mean, the other part is, I mean, you know, uh, who wrote the book? Was it Seth Godin who wrote the book Tribes? Yes. Um, you know, talks a lot about this. Um, but even, even it's just common sense. If you think about all the great brands mm. over the last decade that have done really well, they've built these fierce tribes. Mm -hmm. You know, if you think about, you know, um, Facebook is a tribe, mm. you know, 
Nike runners are a tribe. Tesla fans are a tribe. Yep. Yes. You know, yes. They, they all create a, a, a sense of belonging and, and, and a sense of place around something that's important mm. or meaningful to them. Yeah. That's where you really talk about community and connection. Because if you create a community where people want to hang out there, they can connect with one another. And it's like, why do people, if you think of Apple, and I must say that I am um, an Apple enthusiast myself, why do some people stand for hours, sometimes even the night before, because the latest iPhone is, um, you know, is being released. And when you can tap into uh, your psyche and, and the intrinsic values of your audience, then um, then that that will continue to grow. I love that. So those are the five perspectives what yes. else do we need to know before we dive into the great message and how to craft one any style or, or length is there anything else you want to just cover on those five perspectives well that that's actually leads into the great message is that you need to cover off all those five perspectives yeah. before you proceed okay. especially at the yeah. opening of your dialogue with that individual and you can do it in 90 seconds or less like it doesn't have to be significant here but you need to see when you're communicating which perspective they sit in, mm -hmm. which they don't mm -hmm. necessarily respond to, and how do you navigate with them that difference? Mm -hmm. Because that becomes the point of resistance rather than telling them something they already know or trying to sell them something that they already believe in because you haven't taken the time to get to know that individual. Mm. Getting to know that individual then, because I, I can imagine people are thinking, okay, that's great, sounds great, John, but how do we find out? Mm. Do we do that through asking questions and getting feedback from them? There are so many ways you can do it. Um, you know, um, when I run TEDx Melbourne, we have a survey and we ask them, them extrinsic and intrinsic motivational questions. Mm -hmm. So we have a whole human being profile and then in that, I mean, any social media tool will be able to tell you the obvious stuff, how many followers they have, what sort of influence they have. Like you can go on to the basic mechanics mm -hmm. in there. Um, I make a point, we met two and a half thousand people at our last event. I make a point of picking anyone with an interesting job title or, or an achieved an interesting thing. I call them mm -hmm. and I have conversations with these people and I get to know them and their world and what's important to them. And why they're coming and mm -hmm. and more importantly more about them and their unique job role or interesting achievement because those interesting people invariably have interesting minds mm -hmm. and those interesting minds become the common ground but where we can have a connection yes and, and every communication needs to be about connection we just happen to be selling a product or service or we happen to be trying to get a message across or we happen to be wanting to convince someone or make someone aware of something. Mm -hmm. But that's the secondary um, objective because if the primary objective is I have a relationship with you isn't there, then we've just got pure information that gets thrown at them. Mm. And speaking in particular, it's a very inefficient way to spread information. Yes. Yeah, much, much more efficient way. Yeah, for, for sure. So I'd imagine then it's going to very much depend on, on how you share your message. As you said, it has to be relevant and it has to be delivered in such a way that taps into either of those um, intrinsic uh, or motivational um, 
factors? What what was it? Intrinsic, and what was the other one that you mentioned? Uh, uh, extrinsic. Extrinsic. So okay. it's basically yeah, yeah. it's just things you can mechanically yeah. measure. And and I guess another word for that, from maybe the old term, demographics and and psychographics. So then if you're thinking about those five, and I'll just repeat them, environment, organisation, individual, idea and audience, depending Mm -hmm. on the person to whom you're speaking with, or maybe if you're doing online, a lot of persons, how you deliver the Mm -hmm. content and what order is very much going to depend on who that unique audience member is. And if you've done enough research and you understand that what compels your audience is to ask a real compelling question that speaks into into the challenge that they've been struggling with and and mm-hmm. so that, that is that correct is that sort of how we guide someone yeah. to create this message yeah that's exactly it so yeah. when we actually have a clear message mm-hmm. and we and we're clear about what that means to you mm-hmm. then we need to work out who's listening what's important to them what drives them what would cause them to be interested. And then we need to reshape our entire messaging and delivery so that it's meaningful and engaging for them. Yes. So a lot of speakers in particular start at A, go to Z, walk off stage and expect people to see their genius Mm. rather than how are they responding? When did they engage? Mm -hmm. When were they aloof? Are they continuing to be you know, enthralled by what are we doing? How do we create moments with them? How do we continually connect? How do we make sure we don't lose them? Mm-hmm. Do we need to use another example? All those things need to be happening in your head while you're presenting. Yes. And if you're thinking, what's my next line? What I need to push, push to them. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're presenting, why isn't my clicker working? Or why didn't they laugh at my joke? Then you're in your head. Mm-hmm. And the moment you're in your head, you've disconnected from your audience. And that's when the game is over. Yeah. And I don't care whether it's one to one or one to many, not one to many. Mm. You can do that. Yes. Yes. Let's talk about what's wrong with uh, modern storytelling, because I think there's aspects yes. of what you're talking about that relates to this. And I've also Absolutely. had um, a, an opportunity to hear you also say that, you know, how we communicate. And you, you shared a little bit uh, earlier where you said around people who do speak when you've got this mm. formula and you say, well, now I've got to talk about this and then I'm going to switch. And then people know that. And if they sense what you are doing and they preempt it, you've lost that engagement anyway because they're thinking well now she's yeah. going to go into the pitch or so speak a little bit yeah. about this that's my exact problem with uh storytellers or storytelling as a mechanic mm. because a lot of people want to connect and so one of the more, more popular ways at the moment is through storytelling now i love storytelling but i'm against the mechanics overuse of the mechanics of storytelling mm. so i was in the movies the other day and four advertisements on the, the before the movie all of them were stories and everyone was exactly the same you started in a garage we had this challenge we had this insight we realized something we could do with change and now we're here to change the world do you like it mm-hmm. which is a bit cynic as well Simon cynic but there were four of them in a row and they're all exactly the same why they'd followed a formula Mm. The moment you follow a formula, you become predictable. The moment you become predictable, you become uninteresting. Mm-hmm. 
And our job as communicators, as influencers, even as performers, if you want to go that far, mm -hmm. is how do we make sure we're not doing that? That we're using storytelling to connect to human beings rather than using mechanics of storytelling to just remember what to say next. Yeah. How do we get because past that remember? then? Yes. Sorry? I was going to say then, how do we get past that? Because obviously there's good to have a bit of a yeah. structure because it's like telling a joke. If you miss the punchline, everyone's sort of, is that finished? You know, that kind of thing. So yeah. how do we get past yeah. that mechanics? So there's a difference between having a structure and being beholden to the structure. Mm. Anyone who's been on technical support on the phone has worked with a support person on the other line asking you questions you know are completely irrelevant yes. to the problem yes. you're solving. You know, and um, what they've been trained to do is follow a script. But when you can dance with the tools, then we have a different thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're learning, for instance, I mean, I'll choose a crude example. When you learn to ride a bike or drive a car, you need to know what the pedal does. You need to know what the brake is. You need to know what the steering wheel is. You need to understand that what a stoplight means. You need to understand uh, what the line in the middle of the road means. That's structure. Mm -hmm rules to say how you get from A to B. Mm. You can go by this road, you can go by that road, you can go this fast, you can go that fast. So structure is important, but only to stop literally things getting dangerous. Because yes. the moment you ignore the stop sign, you ignore the white line in the middle of the road, that's when it gets dangerous. Mm -hmm. But the way you travel is completely up to you. Yeah. So you need to be aware of the structure but not beholden to the structure. Mm. And I think that goes back beautifully into what you were saying before is that if you are in your head and you're thinking, what's my next line? And then because sometimes you can almost see it happening when someone's speaking and then they realise they've forgotten a piece of their content and then they go, stop, I've forgotten something. Now, don't do that because, and obviously then you, you haven't, you're not like a guide, someone who's taking someone on a journey. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong than being yeah. really connected to someone's story and then all of a sudden they break state or they say something, oh, I've forgotten to tell you something. That's really what you're yeah. saying. If it feels mechanical, then you're going to lose that audience. Yeah. So, and, and I would imagine delivery is very much part of uh, the way that we engage and connect too. And if we're in our head, we're not focusing. What's the audience? do did, did someone just yawn or lots of someone just just yawn hang on I've got to fasten the pace more or, or do something a little bit different to bring everyone back that's kind of what you're talking about aren't you yeah to, exactly yeah. exactly so what we're really doing is having an understanding of state management your state are you rabbiting on because you're nervous or because you don't know what you're doing or you are in your head and being a bit self-censored mm. centered or are you mindful of what the listener's experiencing? Are they with you on that journey? If they're not, how do you bring them along with you? And if you, they are, how do you connect, continually stay connected to them in a meaningful way? Mm. Yes. The craft of speaking and communicating becomes 
really, really important. Mm-hmm. I remember once, uh, John, that I was presenting and I'd taken down notes and I had a structure and all of that. And then something just made me go, you know what? Uh, let me just ask you, what are some key questions? And all of a sudden, there was a lot of key questions. And then I went, all right. So I put down my notes and then I proceeded mm-hmm. to, sh- to answer the questions, but in a way that made sense. One particular aspect of a yeah. topic, you know, um, built on, on the next. And because, and I'd never done that before, but I was so comfortable with the topic, I didn't need kind of the structure. I was able to take every, and you know what, the feedback I got from that was so good that it almost made me think, you know what, I think I'll have a structure, exactly what you're saying. I have a structure, but very much be guided by where the people will take you. I mean, obviously, if you're doing a keynote, you can't do that. But to a certain Mm -hmm. degree, you still need to take that whole audience with you along the journey otherwise you've just yeah you're not going to make the impact that you really want i actually think you can do it in a keynote it's just a different type of interaction there you go yeah so you know there's nothing to stop you walking around the room and seeing the people's thoughts concerns and ideas before you get on stage and then referring to them when you're on stage just before this talk i was speaking to such and such where are you yeah. yeah, we were we were discussing. You remember that? Yeah. Well, thank you yeah. for challenging and that paradigm. <laughs> yeah. You totally. You totally yeah. Do that, right. So there's different ways to engage, and in fact, professional speakers have 53 ways that they know how to get someone's attention. Mm-hmm. They use combinations and permutations of that yeah. to do that. And so what that one you told me, you just mentioned is called a call out. Yeah. It's just one of the three that you can play with. Mm. It's yeah. a great one. It works really, really well if you have mastered that tool. Yeah. And it's one that I. I love using. The other one I love using is pausing. Mm. Causes someone to contemplate what you're doing, but also makes them think, oh, he just said something important. Yes. Otherwise, yes. it just gets lost in the conversation. Yeah. And so pausing becomes an important one. So that's another tool I use. But this, like I said, there's there's 53 you can play with. Yeah, I love that. And uh, I, I certainly share with people how you can get in contact with you so that they can certainly find out more because we've just scratched the surface in, in the conversation. But what I love about yeah. what you're talking about is that the most masterful speakers and presenters and storytellers are so because of the fact that they're doing all this so streamlined. We don't even know that there are different techniques and things that they're doing because they do them so well. It's blended. And when we get to a point to be able to do that, and we do that consistently, whether we're speaking on a podcast, whether we're doing a video, whether we're speaking one-on-one or to a stage of thousands, as you said, when we incorporate and we're aware of environment, organisation, individual idea and audience, and we're able to really um, engage and connect at a way that deepens know, like, and trust, which we know is really important. That is when mm-hmm. our message cuts through. We create a tribe who really get and understand what we're talking about, become our ambassadors, and uh, that's and that's how it how it goes. That's how it works. Love it, yeah. John. Uh, how can people find out more about the work that you're doing and uh, how they can connect? Look. The, the, most of what we discuss is actually in articles on LinkedIn. So if you want to just search for me on LinkedIn and then you can go read all those articles and I go into a lot more depth and, and, and break down the structures in, in, a, in a more precise way so you can understand the nature of the model as opposed to the mechanics of the model. Yeah. Um, it's probably worth doing that, following me on LinkedIn. Um, I encourage people to ask me questions. So you know, again, on LinkedIn, just if you want to do a connection request, 
ask a question as well. And that way I know that that it's just not someone who's just clicking connect, connect, connect with every other person that's hitting connect. Because, you know, I, I typically don't respond to those mm. because they're really more collecting names for their use if they don't have a message. Yes. But if they're connecting because I heard you on this podcast or I have a particular question, then I know that there's a reason for a meaningful engagement. Mm -hmm. And meaningful engagements is what communication leadership is all about. And if we can't do it in the digital domain, then there's no chance we're going to do it at the personal domain well, because I don't believe there's any sincerity in that. Yes. And so until we continue to do that, until we build and nurture that practice, then the connection requests without the comment or the question by me and well, and this is my opinion will be ignored. Mm. So LinkedIn is probably the easiest way to find me. Fantastic. And, of course, we'll put the link in the show notes as well. So scroll down there. Now, maybe, John, uh, I'll, I'm going to extend the invitation for you to come back and maybe we can dive into some of those 54 different ways. Pause was yeah. one and the other one, calling yeah. out, I think will really um, yeah. build and add value to, to a real clear and solid foundation that you've built again today. So the invitation is open and uh, I right. hope to connect again with you soon. Sure. Thanks. No problem at all. You've been listening to Industry Thought Leader Podcast. Want to learn how to leverage your expertise, monetize your message, while become known as an authority in your field? Access our free industry thought leader podcast series to show you how at www.annemariecross.com forward slash podcast series. That's annemariecross.com forward slash podcast series.